we thank God. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your word and grateful for the message of your kingdom wherever we find it in your scriptures. We'd ask that we would be faithful students of it. In your son's name, amen. It's been a rough day. We started yesterday. Um, what happened yesterday? It was Saturday. Had to go to the dump. It was kind of fun, kind of a date for the wife and I. Um, but I realized I was coming down with a cold. You can probably tell in my diction, my sound, my, my clarity. And when you get a cold, well, it's something that happens. You, you don't feel like I am Job. But this is the stretch of time that is the most glorious time in the year. Two weeks, right around my birthday. I just had my birthday, I'm getting older, so I had a birthday, but I'm 64. You know, it's, there's that. So when I got up this morning, it was dark. The wife had shoved me and said, you know, basically, you get up, get going, you got to prepare a sermon. I was so groggy, by the time I got into the tub, I realized, is it the middle of the night? Did I just think it was time to get up and I'm halfway? But it was, it was actually time. So I was thinking dark thoughts in the tub. I mean, I was, you know, usually that tub time is, comp you know, what am I going to be speaking about this morning? I have a cold, I'm 64, I, I'm up early. And usually, Usually there's a um, normalcy of life. Because you, you don't know, tub, go down and get a cup of coffee, find a passage of scripture to preach out of, get a Pop-Tart, go prepare, uh, get another cup of coffee to go with the Pop-Tart, go sit at the computer, make the sermon notes for Sunday morning, print them out, Simple, right? What could possibly go wrong? Well, it was, I was 64. I had a cold. I come back out of the bathroom, and the TV is on, but oh no, it's not on. It has a little signal, uh, no signal sort of thing. Well, you, so the background TV, Maria Bartiromo on Fox Business News, I, I don't need that on Sunday morning. So I got dressed, down I went, got my cup of coffee, headed to the library. Began to be aware that things weren't as they're supposed to be in my world. Um, the reason there was no TV is because there was no internet. which I go get the Bible text off the internet to load to the sermon notes. So I'm just staring at my computer, feeling like I'm, you know, Gutenberg, trying to figure out the printing press. Because how, how did I used to do this back when I was young? Oh yeah, type it. Couldn't just go grab the Bible section, pop it in there. 
I'm looking at Ezekiel going, oh, I gotta type this. So I sat typed it out. Hope there's no typos. I think that's blasphemy if I typed a bad thing in there. Worked it out, got to the end, ready to print it out. I'm almost on time, running a little late. The printer runs out of toner. <laughs> Ten copies shy of, I mean, stops dead, won't. So I have to load another toner cartridge in and get the rest of the service to the saints. And of course I came to church and there was no heat. Okay, I'm telling you this because not because it's what well, I've gone through what Job went through but to explain some of the darkness of my approach this morning. We're in Ezekiel 24 and Ezekiel is one of those weird books, you know, that a lot of strange visions of cherubim and the like. In chapter 24 of Ezekiel, it's one of those sad and dark moments. Cut to the chase. The Lord tells him his wife's going to die, and he's not allowed to mourn. This is the prophecy, that his wife's going to die, and he's not allowed to mourn. Now, why is that the prophecy? Well, earlier in the book, chapter 3, Ezekiel is told by God, I'm going to confine you to home and you are not going to be able to talk except for when I speak to you and you announce my words. And so consequently, Ezekiel's ministry is only piping up when thus says the Lord, because he can't, he's like Zechariah, you know, John the Baptist's dad. But he has a, he has a, that was five years earlier than this. This is about ten years into the Exile. Ezekiel's in Babylon. He was taken to captivity about 597 BC. Um, Daniel had been taken maybe 10 years earlier than that, the early six, late 600s. And then there was another 10 years while the first group of hostages were in Babylon, while they're waiting for, and Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem, and they're waiting for the other shoe to drop, basically. God is going to have Jerusalem destroyed. And we're right up, in chapter 24, we're right up against that moment. Right at the beginning of the chapter, it lets you know that Nebuchadnezzar, that's the second, the great, um, had just started to lay, see, lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. This is 587. And this is where the city and the temple and everything's destroyed. Everyone's taken into captivity. There's a remnant left that run off to Egypt. It's a rough time for Jews. But Ezekiel's in Babylon has been for ten years, nine, ten years. And they're not they're not unaware of Ezekiel's ministry. Ezekiel is with them sort of almost a daily basis. They're almost like coming to Ezekiel for their morning devotions. They like to hear the prophet talk about things. 
He's got that kind of relationship. And there's a lot of devout Jews in Babylon who are, you know, believing in the Lord's promises to Israel and wondering what's up. But he hasn't been able to talk. He's only, you know, if you read Ezekiel, you'll notice that he has enactments. That he's able, he does little plays that he sets up lying beside, I like the one where you get to be naked and lie beside a brick for X number of days on one side and then for the kind of the moment you get to turn over and lie on your other side for a few days but everybody's watching this trying to figure out what he's doing because he can't explain it he's mute so they're coming by the house and look what he's told son of man verse 16 Behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban, put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips. Do not eat the bread of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning. And at evening, my wife died. On the next morning, I did as I was commanded. Well, this guy is devoted. It really is. the, the God says it's the delight of your eyes. It's not like he and the uh, missus have a tentative relationship. She is his delight. And for the sake of the message, just like he had to lie beside a brick naked for a year to bear the sin of Israel, he... Uh, He's told, for the sake of a picture, so that you can enact what the Jews need to hear, I'm going to have your wife die. You like to think of the cost of the ministry. What does it take to be in the Christian work? <laughs> Rough on Ezekiel. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things mean for us? That you are acting thus? And then I said to them, The word of the Lord came to me. He's able to speak when the word of the Lord is on it. Say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God. Now I, I, I centered these things and made them bold for a reason. I want to, for myself, and I assume you, there's a certain degree of shifting. We have things that are legitimate in our lives. We have families, we have our loves, we have our jobs, we have our interests, we have our nation, we have our all sorts of things that are legitimate connections and points of friendship and love. And as Lewis says in The Four Loves, if any time we make this a god, we make it a demon. But we don't always know when we're making our love a god. The last thing that happens to us, we realize how demonic our relationship has become with our children, with our wife, with our husband, with our, with our, 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 our circumstance in society. This is a reminder, this is coming at the Jews in Jerusalem at the cost of Ezekiel's wife 
that he is not allowed to mourn because what's going to, he wants this image to come across very strongly to the Jews. Thus says the Lord God, this is verse 21, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary. The Jews are in Babylon for the most part, Israel. There are people still in Jerusalem, a remnant. His temple is still there. The city is still there. The Babylonians have been trying to run Jerusalem with petty kings, you know, sort of proxies that they set up who decided they were going to rebel against Babylon, which was a mistake. And the Lord introduces this as, I will profane my sanctuary. One of the key things that we do, this is something I, as I was thinking about the mess that is today, but one of the key things we do is we take all these legitimate, healthy goods and loves, and as they start to gain traction and importance to the point of becoming inordinate, in order to keep them inordinate, we name them religious things. Okay? All you have to do is go, that person is way too attached to their family. And the person, when you talk to them, says, you know, I really believe in family values. That's because the phrase family values sounds a lot more sanctified. Look what he says to them. Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, the desire of your souls, and your sons and your daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. Oh, wow. I've got to phrase this differently. I have a little attempt at doing it here on the side. This is... I mean, stop. This is just a church. The heat, the, the boiler doesn't work. But imagine it was a better run thing, you know. It works, uh, it works now? So if you go stand by the radiator, I mean, about a half an hour, you'll be... In, in probably 45 minutes, it'll start to warm up. Right in time for the fellowship. I'll just draw out the sermon really long. <laughs> Thank you, John, for your service to the body. The flesh, I mean. Not the... Well, <laughs> The pride, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, the desire of your soul, and your sons and daughters of will have him killed. We say, what's wrong with the Jews if we just rephrase those things? Because this is God's sanctuary. If this were actually the place that God has made his name to dwell, and the Ark of the Covenant was sitting behind me here, this was the Holy of Holies, and, and we knew that this glorious building in Moscow, Idaho was the place where God had made his name to dwell. His sanctuary. You belong to that church, not those other churches. You weren't Episcopal or you weren't Methodist. You were all souls. And we had the building. And what if I was published? Just play with work with me here. Just published in big picture of me on the back of the book. Maybe two books. Good, what are they called? Royalties rolling in. I'd be with my tweed jacket leaning forward at you at three quarters. 
maybe pipe in my hand because, you know, I'm that kind of Christian. It's a thinky book, a smarty pants book. And people go, wow, just get him on a talk show. Not just a Christian, not Pat Robertson, none of that nonsense, real talk show. And you knew that anywhere you went, you're flying through St. Louis, and you're from Moscow, why do I, wow. Um, you say, yeah, yeah, I go to all souls. Oh, man. The pride of your power. And what if we actually could fix the church up a little bit? Stained glass, better concrete out front, maybe a drive through Not for sermons, but just a, <laughs> for dropping people off. Cushions on the pews. Better sound system, a ramp to get farther to the basement so he can have coffee, which he doesn't drink. Because the temple in Jerusalem, go back and look at what Solomon had built 500 years earlier. It was glorious, a delight to your eyes. You go to the Vatican. You go to Westminster Cathedral, you go to St. Paul's in London, you'll get weak at the knees with delight. Those, those architects, I mean, Michelangelo did one. So the growth of the power of your influence, not only is it God's place, but the power of this place and your people has grown, and it's a it's actually a tourist destination because it's worth looking at. Sweet architecture. The desire of your soul. So you, you're finally showing up on time because you want to be here and you actually, you know, I, I was actually here before it was famous. I mean, that's what you can all claim, right? You were late, but you were here before it was famous. And your loyalties would be unquestioned. It's the desire of your soul. And you all are busy. There's a lot of kids upstairs. And from what I understand, when a man and woman love each other very much, babies happen. And then we start talking about how our posterity is going to reach this church's influence into the future. And the Lord says, I don't care if it's my sanctuary. I don't care if it's the pride of your power. I don't care if it's the light of your eyes or the desire of your soul. I don't care if your kids are cute. You're losing it all. Because at some point, all the goods become a demon. Only because something has happened. Verse 22. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips nor eat the bread of mourners. Your turban shall be on your heads and your shoes on your feet. You shall not mourn or weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and groan to one another. Like Ezekiel had demonstrated, he wasn't allowed to mourn, he had to just sigh inside. Because this is what was going to happen. The, their delight of their eyes, he was illustrating it with his wife, this is not a lesson of how you deal with loss, this is a lesson with how a man of God represented a, a far greater expectation of God 
in us, to us in our losses, to us in our mismeasurement. Thus shall Ezekiel be to you a sign according to all that he has done you shall do. When this comes, this is the phrase that is the teaching thing, the thing that we need to learn. Because we thought we had built the faith around our cool building. We built the faith around the power that we had in this world. We built the faith that we knew that it was the sanctuary of the living God. We built our faith around our posterity. We, we built all sorts of things up. When this comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. Now it's not the kind of, wow, what a miracle. Now you know that he's the God of Ezekiel. Now you know the God of Ezekiel is really the God. Now, look at that, that sort of thing. Somewhere along the line, this, we're told this in the parable of the sower. In the cares of this world and the delight in riches keep you from being fruitful. We can name all those things. We can come up with devices by which we um, you might say put the imprimatur of God on these goods. And they are goods. Nothing wrong with your sons and daughters. Nothing wrong with nice architecture. Nothing wrong with an effective ministry. Nothing wrong with having getting published. I want you to remember that one. Nothing wrong. But God was willing to profane his sanctuary, to take away Ezekiel's love of his life suddenly and deny him mourning to make this point that they would know the Lord God. That he is the Lord God. Now he describes it a little bit more. And you, son of man, on the day when I take from them, and look at how he lists it in this passage, their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, and their heart's desire, and also their sons and daughters. It fleshes that out a little bit. The pride in their power, their stronghold. Every ancient city looked at its walls and trusted in them. They wouldn't have lived there if they didn't trust in them. Their joy and glory. What moves you? Because God's saying, I'm going to take this away so you can see that I am the Lord God. Because we replace the Lord God with our other strongholds, with our other joys and glories. The delight that we have. I mean, I'm a big fan of autumn. God was very merciful to me to have me be born in autumn. Those of you who are not born in autumn... I can't really guarantee anything theologically for you. But there is a... You walk down a street in autumn, and you get to say autumn. Fall doesn't work as well. Autumn. 
C.S. Lewis loved autumn. So C.S. and I were like this. You ever get the sense that you're having an almost religious experience? I got a new yard this summer with um, landscapers doing it all and the grass is in now and the leaves are turning and autumning, falling. And you can go out there, they designed a little, the Evan Bowl, I don't know if you're familiar with the Evan Bowl, but it's a, it's a, it's a sanctuary devoted to the, the greatness that is Evan in my yard. It's a little circular seating area. And those of you who came over for the open yard last week, you know about this, but it's beautiful right now, so come on over sometime. And down in the Evan Bowl, you walk down the sward of grass into a copse of trees. New boulders are there that have been named. Got to put little tags on them. And the Evan Bowl with pavers and the stone Augustus in the center. And I got in Leavenworth two more ravens, concrete ravens, to put at each end of the seating area. It looks like a temple to Odin, is what it looks like. But it's really just to be. Now, I get to go out there and sit anytime I like, because it's my yard. And I get to sit there, cross my legs, wear my tweed coat, light a cigar, hate squirrels. <laughs> and I could really feel that this degree of delight was sufficient sufficient for the task, sufficient for your life. Some mothers can look at their children and go, this is sufficient. I don't need Jesus, I just need this. Lord, keep them healthy. That's all I want you for. To may say enough prayers to keep my kids healthy. Where's your stronghold? Your joy and your glory, the light of your eyes, your heart's desire, their sons, their daughters. And remember, these are people that they're showing up for Ezekiel's morning devotions. They came by the house and can't leave the house. Can't talk. And they go, hey, what's going on? What did, why are you doing that? And why did your wife die? And why are you not acting right in the head? Because God wants you to know that him being you knowing that he is the Lord. You notice this in Job? I was talking with Gunn about Job the other day, but he'd been talking to Black Kenny about Job. And uh, one of the things I've noticed about Job is God never explains himself. You know the story. You know, Job's a little ticked about getting worked over, even though he wasn't a bad man. And you know, the Lord looks at Job and goes, you didn't, you didn't think about me at all, Job. You didn't justify me at all. You justified yourself. You might have been right. Job was a good man. His friends were wrong. At some point, when we as religious people deal with the divine, we're not just dealing with the exchange of things that we value more than God, and if God promises us good in those things, 
we belong to the Christian religion. If God promises me a good marriage, if God promises me healthy kids, if God promises me, you know, reasonably good looks and weight loss, I will follow Jesus. But he is just God. The Lord God. He is, there's the phrase Lord, you know the Lord, phrase that Adonai or something along those lines. And Yahweh, when it says God in these passages, it's all capital letters. It is the Lord Yahweh. That you know that he is the Lord Yahweh. That's, he's just saying, I want you to think of the divine as important enough in its own right. You are a creator, created element of God's universe. And you have found him. You're going to have a, you know, I want you to consider trying to lay some of the goods that God has given you at his feet. Not giving them up. You're not being asked to give up food for Lent. You're not asking, being asked to give up stuff like God wants denial. He wants, he wants the appropriate knowledge of him to be higher than the knowledge you have of these other things. Because we easily let ourselves start to live in our religion, in our sanctuaries, in our families, in our delights. And you, O son of man, on the day when I take them, their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes and their heart's desire, and also their sons and daughters, on that day, a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day, your mouth will be opened to the fugitive, and you shall speak and be no longer dumb. So you will be assigned to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. This, this sign has gone on since chapter 3 to chapter 24. And when the news comes with someone who'd survived or had, was running to Babylon to let them know, because it's a long way. It's not like, you know, you've got your phone and you know right now that Nebuchadnezzar is taking down the walls. But this is happening right as the siege is being laid against Jerusalem. 587, 88, somewhere there. And God is saying, it's destroying everything that you made, that you labeled as part of your religion so that you could have everything everyone else wanted and you could be all about your earthly urges just because you named them Christian things or Jewish things in this case. And all these things will be just dragged away from them. Remember, <coughs> just because I had a, a cold yesterday and I had a dark tub time and the heat didn't come on at the church, and the internet wasn't working at the house. And what else? What else happened? Stuff. Darkness. That doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, everybody's going to lose everything. You, okay, you're probably going to have a nice life. You're probably going to have a good job. You're probably going to pay your bills. You're probably going to meet a nice young lady or a nice young man, or maybe you already did, and you'll get married, and you'll be happy, and your kids will be reasonably obedient if you paddle their bottom. Now, still, 
at the end of the day, you're dead. Even if it doesn't happen to you, like the fall of Jerusalem is not your life. Some of us who have set ourselves up to make inordinate the pleasures and the goods that are in this life and label them Christian things so that we can somehow hang on to them. Yeah, it might be like the fall of Jerusalem. But the rest of us, we're all going to have to face the futility of all these human goods, all these earthly things. Your marriages, there's neither marriage or given in marriage in heaven. So, enjoy it here, do it right, keep it rightly positioned. Your kids, well, they're not Wilsons. Try to be happy. All of us are going to lose all of this. The only thing we walk out of here with is the Lord. Now, you might want to spend some time in your backyard looking at autumn and going, this is really spectacular. But it, compared to the Lord, the, the, these delights, I could have it destroyed and not blink if I know God. I, that's what Ezekiel's asked to do. Have his delight destroyed and no mourning. There's stuff, there's internal sighing, but can you... Can you put your children, your backyard, your marriage, your job, your aspirations, your self-gratification and satisfaction in what you have done before the Lord and know that he is the Lord God? Because that's where your temptation to sin is going to be in every one of those because every one of those is a benefit to you and a benefit to self. And all sin is, is you going, I think I would rather make my own self's decisions than listen to God's decisions. I would like to sin in this way because it benefits how I feel. But God wants you to do it that way. I'm sorry. I have, you know, family values. Loyalties to this. How are you going to find out that the Lord is the Lord God? I have this passage right here at the end on the left hand side. This is out of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, that's the word Yahweh, that I am Yahweh, who practice steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. That's what you should be able to stand in your backyard, looking everything in the face that is autumn, family, your cute little two-year-old boy, we have you know, Ian in our family who's like two and a half and he's diminutive and, and blonde and, and uh, strangers call him cute and he can run across the yard like a little and, you, and your womanly motherly heart goes, oh my gosh I'm not his mother but my heavens it's Ian somebody's having a less than enjoyable they're not that cute Ian's cute, but he's in Colorado. We can look at all these things and say, you know, Lord, I need to get to the place. I need to kneel before you. 
Because even though Ian is cute, and even though life is good, and I have been blessed, and to whatever degree All Souls is a sanctuary for a Sunday morning as cool as it is, that's not where my glory is. Wise man, not glory in his wisdom. Mighty man, not glory in his might. Rich man and his riches, all those are good. I have to somehow unglory myself in there. I have to say, this is not why. It's him that is why. The capital H, he. That you understand and know him. That's what he wanted the exiles to know. That you will know that I am the Lord Yahweh. Part of your devotion. I'm just encouraging that. A reminder. You may be right there. You might be right. Worked out. You know how I overuse the word ordinate. You have to put things in their place. Enjoy the good gifts. Receive them. Thank God for them. But. Know where your glory is. Know where the pride of your power is. And the delight of your eyes because all of those things start to woo us. We are tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your presence walking through this earth and all the good gifts you have given man, all the things we need to thank you for, but all the things we need to face and recognize their place. That your son, Jesus Christ, is far greater to us than the cutest grandchild, than the greatest riches, than the most wisdom, than the most successful ministry. That you are the centerpiece of each of our lives. That we would be able to change your creation to worship you if we followed this. Help us understand it. Help us find a way of expressing it, each of us, to ourselves. And in that Son's name we pray. Amen.